Hey, that's Bob Goff. He's the author of the book that we're reading. Many of us are going to be reading. I want to challenge you. If you've not done a small group where you read a book, I want to challenge you to seriously today contemplate doing that. Where you read a book together, you get together with a group of people and you talk about it. You can be as honest and disclosing as you want to be. And honestly, you can be as, you know, holding it all in and shielded as you want to be. But the, 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 the power of reading a book together in a community of people and hearing other people's thoughts and talking through things, praying through things, it's life-changing. One of the most enjoyable things for me in the life of this church is to see people get into groups, a serving team, a learning group like the books we're doing here, or a fellowship group, and build friendships with people going in the same direction. There's far too many Lone Ranger Christians who believe that them and Jesus have their own thing going, and it only hurts you. So I just want to challenge you today, kind of directly like that, to sign up for a small group where you read this book. And listen, if you just simply can't make the time, I like to challenge you on that personally, but if you really can't make the time, why don't you buy the book? Go to Amazon, spend the 10 bucks, have it sent to you, read the book. I have found this book to be refreshing, enjoyable, challenging, eye-opening. It lifts the spirits, all right? So that's why we're doing this book. I think you'll love it. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about this question? Can, can God do everything? Can, can God do everything? Now, if you're in the room today and you're not yet a believer or you don't think you're ever going to become a Christian, that's okay. We've kind of designed this church with you in mind. Every element in what we do has had you in mind. We also, though, built this church for people who are convinced that God is God, that he's there, that he wants a relationship with us. And for those of us that have kind of crossed over that line, we tend, tend to believe that he can do whatever he wants to do. It is all the power. He has all the resources. He has all the energy to do whatever he wants to do. So listen to me, brothers and sisters, those of us that are following Jesus. If God could do everything he wanted to do, if he can do anything, in fact, if he can do it without your help and mine, here's the question that's been hitting me these last few weeks. Why doesn't he do it all? Why doesn't he? I mean, if God can do everything... And if God doesn't really need me, if he is sufficient in himself, if there's no sense of loss, no sense of need in God by definition, why, why doesn't he do it all? Why doesn't he? Now, when you contemplate a deep question like that, it can go into a lot of different places. So I want to kind of bring it together into one piece today. Today, we're talking about the adventure that God calls us to, this incredible privilege of being a part of what God's doing in the world. But my entry into this subject over the last few weeks has been around the question I just asked. If God could do it all without me, why doesn't he? What are the implications? What does it mean theologically, philosophically, practically? What does it mean if God could do it all without me, that instead of doing it without me, he asked me to do it with him? So here's our point for today. God could do it all by himself, but he picked me to help him. God could do it all by himself, but he picked me to, ha to help him. I think there it is for you on the screen up there. God could do it all by himself, but he picked me to help him. Now, it's not a selfish statement. He didn't just pick me. He invited all of humankind to join with him. That means you and me, the person sitting next to you, the person that's not here, your neighbor. God in has invited all of humankind to join with him in his agenda for this world. The implications that come out of that question we started with, if he really could do it all without me, what does it mean that he chose us, that he picked us, that he hand-selected us to be a part of it? What, what does that really mean? 
And so to explore that question today, I want to take you to an interesting place in the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you have a Bible and you'd like to go there, please turn. If not, when we get there, the words will be on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me shut you up before we start reading. Here's, here's what 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 deals with the problem in this local church. So you may not know this, but many of the letters in the New Testament, many of those individual books that make up the Bible, uh, many of them were handwritten letters by a leader to a local congregation. And that leader had a heart for that congregation. He knew them. He loved them. He cared for them. And he had special insight to kind of see what was going on. And he had all the challenges of leading a group like well, if you're a manager, you know what that's like if you have a group of people. You have uh, divergent opinions, you have different ideas, you have the marketplace of competition, right? And so, li like all other groups that have ever existed in humanity, this leader, in this case the Apostle Paul, who was in charge of this church, wanted to help this church that came from a variety of different backgrounds, with a variety of different experiences, and a variety of different values and opinions about the way things should be done. And he wanted to kind of steer all that towards a specific mission that God had called that church to. That was a challenging task for him. And so he would walk around the known world at the time and take boats to visit churches and experience all kinds of hardships. And on occasion, he'd write them these letters. And we have a, a group of those letters reserved for us in the thing called the New Testament. And so this particular letter, the letter to the church at Corinth, this is the first one, that's why it's called 1 Corinthians. This first letter talked about a lot of the challenges that they faced, and Paul, this leader, was trying to help them understand that and how to lay down their personal preferences and how to rally around, instead of just their own idea, rally around God's idea. And he was operating on the assumption that I'm operating on today. That while God could do it all by himself, and he doesn't need you, and he doesn't mean, need me, it's incredibly profound to think about then, why did he, in fact, ask us to help him? And God has an agenda in this world. He's made it very clear, for those of us that are believers, in the pages of the Bible, God's agenda for this world. We, we call it his will, his divine will, what he wants to see happen. He wants us to turn from selfishness individually and as groups of people turn from selfishness and instead love people. He wants us to lay down things that bring harm and death and destruction and instead speak life and hope and peace into situations. He got a, he's got an agenda in this world. And rather than coming down and just snapping his fingers and making it happen, he's invited us to be a part of it. And so the Apostle Paul's writing to this group and they're struggling with the very human parts of living out God's will and being a part of it. Just, it's normal, it's natural, it's human, it's understandable. When you read their story, it doesn't take a lot of knowing the history and knowing the circumstance to be able to emotionally relate to what they're saying. So here's this leader saying, come on guys, God could do this by himself, but he chose not to. And he's asked you to help, he's asked me to help. And in order for us to do that, we're going to have to get pretty specific with ourselves and our situation to get it going in the direction that God wants for it to go. So in here in chapter 3, Paul starts writing about this internal conflict that they're having. This internal conflict. Now, I got kind of a morbid fascination with fights. I'm the guy, and I don't want to like make you think less of your pastor today, all right? But I'm the guy, if I'm like in the mall and I see people arguing, I don't want to be right next to them, but I'll stand back here and watch. That, that's me. And, and, and this will sound terrible, but if I'm like seeing a husband and wife go at it, just, you know, I mean, not like, you know, physically, but just kind of going at it, I don't want them to know I'm watching, but I can't wait to see who's going to say what next. I mean, 
I just, I got that thing about me. Now, now some of that's just silly and, and immaturity on my part, and I'm just, you know, fascination for drama. I don't know what that is, but uh, fully. I'm certain I need some counseling somewhere. But, um, but the other part of that is, that is that when you listen to fights, like when you really listen to people going at it about things they're passionate about, it reveals their hearts. It, it tells you what's important to them, at least important in that moment. Now, I talked about being at the mall or watching husband and wife fight, but sometimes like in a counseling session, when, when I used to do a lot of that stuff, you'd watch people go at it, and sometimes in, in the middle of a fight, you could really see what was on their hearts. You could really see what the issue was, and while they were trying to be all logical about it, they couldn't, you couldn't quite get it to the surface, but when they started fighting, up to the surface would bubble these core issues revealing the real conflicts. So, when you read your New Testament and you read these letters that Paul's writing around challenges, when you look at the challenge, a lot of times, beyond just getting a, a front row seat to a pretty interesting fight, <laughs> we get to see the core conflicts and the real heart of the matter. And so today, the passage we're going to look at, it is a conflict-laden passage. Now, our purpose is not the conflict or trying to avoid that particular conflict. We're going to back up one step and look at the underlying core values that are really being wrestled with. What's the real challenge that results in this conflict that kind of captures our attention when we read the passage, but what's really going on underneath, all right? So, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, here's what it says. Paul writing to this church at Corinth, and he says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, on the one hand, but as people who are still worldly. In the New Testament, there's this dichotomy uh, often portrayed uh, between people who are trying to follow God, that Spirit stuff, living by the Spirit, followers of Jesus who are pressing in, and then the other side of that, the, the, the word for that as opposed to Spirit is worldly. Depending on the English translation you're reading, it might be spiritual and flesh, all right? That is the idea of kind of having your eyes up at God and focused on Him, or having your eyes kind of here focused on this world. So Paul says, look, I wanted to write to you and talk to you about this spirit stuff, <laughs> but, but, but I can't because you're stuck over here just in the world. You don't lift your eyes enough. Now, this is when you know you're in the middle of what's been a conflict. You, you, get, you, you get to look at the fight a little bit. And the, the nice thing for us is this is not our particular situation, so we get to step back and be somewhat objective observers and hopefully dig through the meat of this and figure out what then the implications are for us. So Paul writes, I wanted to talk to you about spirit stuff, but I had to stick with stuff over here because you're, that's where you're living. You're not even thinking about this other stuff. And then he says, here's, here's what's going on. You're, more, you're mere infants. You're mere infants in Christ. Now, now, now this is not a positive thing in, in, in this particular context. Remember, this is a problem he's trying to deal with. He's saying, look, I want to deal with spirit stuff, but you're like a baby, and you don't want to think about this. You're just wanting to focus on this other stuff over here. And so he says in verse 2, I gave you milk, not solid food, because you're a baby, all right? For you are not ready for it. Now, without knowing a whole lot what's going on, you could know from just opening your Bible and reading it, don't have to have a theology degree, don't have to have anything, you could know right now that uh, this is not a positive engagement from the Apostle Paul with this church that he loves, with this group of people. No, he, he's doing a little bit of like, uh, like daddy correction. Hey guys, we should be over here, but we're stuck over here, and we're stuck over here because you're babies, 
and it's time to grow up, but I can't even give you real food because you're stuck on milk. You seem to like it because you're not ready for the other stuff. Now, this passage gets used a lot in churches. If you have a church background, you've probably heard this passage before. If not, let, let, me, let me tell you what often gets done with this passage. It's kind of used as like a battering ram against a group of people to say, you should do it my way, and if you don't want to do it my way, you're a baby. But if you do it my way, you're grown up, right? That's not what we're talking about today. In fact, I want to make something pretty clear to you, that this passage reveals to us a core value about the way God who could do it all by himself, but chose not to, the way God thinks about us. And I think if you'll let it, this is how it's been speaking to me, I think if you'll let it, you'll see in this an amazing compliment, an amazing privilege from our Heavenly Father to us. Something you may not have considered before. Here's the way I'm putting it into English in our context today. God did not wait for me to know everything before he asked me to be a part of the team. God didn't wait for me to know everything before he asked me to be a part of the team. God didn't wait for me to get some corpus of knowledge deposited into my head and fully understood. And when I passed a certain score on the knowledge test, then he let me be a part. That's not the way God has worked in this world. The God who could have done everything but chose not to do everything and instead chose to invite you and me to be a partner with him in doing what he wanted done in this world the God who could have done it all, but instead looked at you, tapped you on the shoulder and said, I'd like to work with you to do my agenda in this world. I'd like to work in you to do my agenda in this world. I'd like to work through you to do my agenda in this world. That God did not give you an information-based test. And when you passed it, he said, now you are available. Now you are qualified. When we read And look at this argument right here that's happening. Paul says that there is a time in our spiritual development when we're babies. And he says we're simply not ready for bigger stuff. And I think there's a natural tendency to want to make that to be an extremely negative thing. I'm not so sure that it is completely negative, at least at the first glance. Here's the thing. When you were a baby, like in in real life, you drank milk. And that was really all that you could be expected to drink. Uh, Here's the way I like to say it in churches, and it has implications for ours. People who drink milk aren't abnormal in the church. They're new. They're new. There's a certain messiness when you have new people who come into a group who don't know all the knowledge, who don't understand all the stuff, who don't know the lingo, don't know the words for the song, don't know when to sit, stand, when to move the hand. They don't know anything. And sometimes... It's real easy for those people to feel like somehow they aren't available, that God doesn't want them, that they need to arrive to a certain amount of knowledge and and experience before God can use them, but simply not true. God never looked at anybody and said, I need you to pass a certain knowledge test before I can begin to use you. It's not the way it works at all. Now, the truth of the matter is, even if you don't necessarily agree with what I'm getting ready to say, the truth of the matter is, is we all started there. Everybody that you look at today and say of them, they've got it going on. They have a special relationship with Jesus. I look at them and I say, one day I'd like to be like him or I'd like to be like her when it comes to spirituality. The truth is, every single person that ever began walking with Jesus started right there in that baby mentality, in that baby maturity. And it was very hard for them to stay focused on spiritual things because the world was so very much right in front of them. They weren't ready to contemplate deeper stuff, and that was okay. 
And it's still okay. It's still okay. When people who are relatively uninitiated and new feel the awkwardness and the internal tension, here's what I want you to feel complimented by today. Your heavenly father looks at you and says, if this is all new to you, it's okay. You don't understand it all, it's okay. You don't feel fully initiated, it's okay because I'm not waiting on you to cross the line of understanding and maturity and passing from milk to meat before I want to start using you. I could do it without you anyway. I don't need to wait on you, but I'm going to work with you and grow you. What this means for all of us is that God is incredibly, incredibly wonderful to us in this specific way. He lets us work with him even when he knows we're not fully ready. Even when he knows we might still have questions. Even when he knows we don't have you know, 100% buy-in on all the, the different categories on the contract that says you're now a fully engaged believer. And when we were converted, we all drank the milk. Now the problem comes on the other side. When we've been with Christ for a while, and we should be growing out of that stage, and here's what Paul's fighting with, and we're kind of stuck there. We're kind of stuck there. You, you understand this challenge in another context. How many of you guys have, have been to a pool? You don't have to raise your hand, but just think about it. You've been to a pool, and they have like the adult pool and the kiddie pool. You know, that's the pool. It's like 10 inches, 10 degrees warmer, right? Really fun because, you know, you put your baby there. You can sit on the side. It's not really deep enough. Maybe not your infant baby, but your toddler baby, you know, and you can let them play. Now, it's all well and good. And so when you walk up as a mom and you see like all the kiddies in the, in the baby pool, you don't think anything about that. You're like, yeah, baby pool, right? relaxation. But now if you saw a 50-year-old man sitting in the middle of that baby pool, now that, that gets strange, doesn't it? Real quick. That's like when you want to start calling people, right? You know, you're tweeting stranger, in the, you know, stranger danger, that kind of stuff. And, because it's out of place. And so Paul's writing in this church and he's saying, look, when they're new and they're drinking milk, good. <laughs> when they've been around a long time and they're still drinking milk, and they don't seem to want to transfer on to more solid food, not so good. Because here's what Paul knows. He knows that in all of us, for us to be fully cooperating with God and God's agenda for this world, for us to be fully cooperating with God and God's agenda in our own lives, there are stages of development and growth we have to go through. And when we stop participating in that, when we stop engaging that, a couple of terrible things happen. We stunt our own spiritual growth. That, that, that breaks God's heart. He, he wants us to grow and develop because he has a significant, amazing, generous, privileged place for you and me. A place of partnering with him and his work in this world. A place where he gets to do his work inside of us and it transforms us and changes us and grows us into what he would have us be. And a place where we then get to step into a sweet spot of being used by God in life-changing ways and energizing ways for us. It blesses others, and it blesses us. And if we decide, or if we just kind of get stuck in a place where we're not willing to grow, then that beautiful privilege of the God who could do it all but chose instead to work through people, that privilege doesn't get realized. We're not static. We're not static. We're supposed to keep growing. So here's a quote that I, that I think is, is, is powerful in my life from, from one of my favorite authors. There it is on the screen for you. I don't get to know God and then do his will. 
I get to know him more deeply by doing his will. If you have thought, Ben, when I assess myself, I'm still a newbie. I don't know enough. I don't have enough training, enough theology, enough exposure, enough relationships, enough resources. I'm still new at all this. And so I'm going to kind of wait until I garner all those pieces I need before I step out. I just want to challenge you. You understand? God didn't even need you to step out at all. He wants you to. He's blessed you to be able to. And he wants you to understand that the, the, the primary vehicle of your growth, one of the primary vehicles of your growth, isn't going to be waiting until you get all the experience and all the knowledge and all the resources in place. It's going to be you going ahead right where you are and stepping out and giving God a chance to show up as you walk with him, as you step into that thing, as you step into creating pools of influence where you have relationships, where you step into creating impact where you have influence. When you step, for instance, dads, when you step into your role in your home and, and you understand that being a dad is more than just providing and it's more than just showing up, it's at least those things, and those are good lessons in and of themselves for a lot of folks, but for those of us that are following Jesus, it involves using the influence we have as a dad for the spiritual benefit of our families as well. When, when you're in school, understanding that God's given you an environment to impact people, to live his agenda, to live the God life in this world, to be a part of what he's doing in that sphere that you have. Now, you're not going to change maybe the whole school, but you probably can live that influence right there. And I think the enemy's been very effective in a lot of believers' lives to say to them, you have to arrive to a certain standard of achievement. No, no, you don't. God could do it all by himself. But he picked you to help. And then he understood that you sometimes start new. Now the challenge only comes not from drinking milk. The challenge only comes when you're drinking milk. And it's been 30 years of drinking milk. Because you haven't stepped in. So what does it take to kind of get past that? What it takes is the willingness to step forward. To say, God, yes, I'm available. God, use me. I want to know. I want to understand. And so as we watch this fight play out, in the church at Corinth, and Paul's kind of scolding and challenging and correcting and hopefully encouraging them, he wants folks to understand if you're new, it's okay to feel nervous. If you've never done a small group, it's okay to feel nervous. If you've never done a ministry, it's okay to feel like you might not have it together. You've never had a spiritual conversation before and it's all new to you. It might be awkward. You might think you don't have all the answers and that's all okay. But don't fool yourself into thinking that you've got to get it all together before God can begin to use you, what you'll discover is what a lot of us have discovered. That the person who grows the fastest, that moves from the milk to the meat the fastest, they're the ones who are saying, all right, I don't, I don't really know all of it, but I'll, here we go. Here we go. I'm willing. Do you know who, who learns the most? You may have heard me say this before if you've been around Four Corners. You know who learns the most in a small group that's reading a book together? It's the facilitator trying to lead the discussion. Because that person is being stretched and pulled and challenged doesn't mean they have all the answers but as they step in and become available to be a conduit that God can begin to do his work in this world special things happen in them spiritual things deep things begin to happen in them when you teach a class when you serve God opens you up to receive don't think that you have to cross a line let's keep looking at this conflict and see a couple of the other points that yeah, I think that are really driving the Apostle Paul to have this fight that he thinks matters, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. The second part, it says, Indeed, talking to this group now, you're still not ready for the meat. 
You're still word, worldly. Still kind of not focused on the spiritual stuff. And then he says, here's the proof. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? There's that human thing. Like mere humans. I love that phrase. Like, like we could really do anything else. Left to our own devices, this is where we are. We're kind of stuck between in jealousy and quarrelings. For when one says, and here's the way it worked out in their context, one says, I follow this leader, his name's Paul, and another one says, I follow this leader, his name's Apollos. Are you not mere human beings? You're just focused right here. What would happen, Paul's saying to this group, what would happen if you turned your eyes up and focused up a little bit? What could that look like? What would it look like if instead of just being stuck here looking at the world around you, you turned your eyes up and you begin to ponder the privilege of God who could do whatever he wanted to do and doesn't need you and me to do it. Ponder the privilege of him looking at us and saying, hey, hey, you, I want to use you. And everywhere you have influence, every environment that you operate in, I can use you there. Every relationship you have, every exchange you participate in, every dynamic of your life where you're bumping into people and bumping into systems of this world, I can use you in that place. But you you can't just be looking around here. You do that, let me tell you where it's going to go. Jealousy, contention, lack of peace. So Paul says, instead of being focused here, why don't you turn your eyes up a little bit and start asking bigger questions? God, what, what could you do in my life here? What could you do through my life here? You want to know what is a solid sign of spiritual development and maturity? When there is less jealousy and strife and content, uh, contention, and there's more peace and cooperation and wholeness. Think about this one more time. God could have chosen anybody, but he didn't. Here's the way I want to drill it down right here on the screen. God did not ask me to become someone else before he asked me to serve him. Did you hear the way they were fighting? I'm with Apollos. I'm with Paul. Paul's a good, a good writer, but he doesn't speak so well. Apollos, incredible. A speaker really moves a crowd, but doesn't, you know, we don't have any of his writings left. And I like him, and I like him, and yours not as good. Mine's more spiritual, and I like And so people were fashioning themselves after these leaders they were looking right here. I see this all the time in Christian world. You know, can, can, can I just be honest with you? You're not the next anybody. You're not the next anybody. You're not the next Mother Teresa. God already had one of her. He doesn't want another one. If, if he did, he would have created two. And, 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 and you're not the next Billy Graham. Right? Because God's already got one of those. And he doesn't need another one. If he did, he would have created, you know, a few of them. He'd have cloned them. You're not the next Ben Hodges, Cyber Leaf, all right, there, there you go. And, and, and you're not the next Will Lavellet, and you can cry about that if you want, but God doesn't need another one. He's already got many. Right? One, it's all he wanted. He just wanted one. What this means, let me tell you, the, the cool thing here is you don't have to mold yourself after somebody else. You don't have to become somebody else. You get to be you, when God tapped you on the shoulder, he didn't tap you on the shoulder so that you can go into a, 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 a life change program for you turn out to be another version of some other respectable spiritual leader. There's way too much of that going on in Christian circles. Molding and shaping ourselves into somebody else 
the privilege of being a part of the movement of God in this world where he could have done it by himself, but he chose to tap you on the shoulder. Part of the privilege of that is, is you get to be fully you. You really do. Now, not the baby you, but the growing up you is what God's looking for. You don't have to be like me. You don't have to be like Greg. You don't have to be like your small group leader. You don't have to agree with us. All of us have to focus our attention on God. When you read this passage here, he's talking about this idea of being merely humans. But I want to take you to verse 5 and show you what he says. Verse 5, here's what it says. What, after all, is this guy that you're modeling after Apollos? What is Paul? Here's some... Beautiful, rich, spiritual, deep stuff. It's transformative if we can wrap our hands around it. Paul and Apollos, they're only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Paul, Apollos, Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, Ben, whoever. You know what we are? You know what the title I get? Servant. Now, now here's the challenge. Because most of us would rather choose a different title. I mean, let's be honest. There aren't a lot of people beating down the door to become the servant. Leader? We've got that all day long. Got that all day long. Droves of people. But, but Paul makes it clear that in the church, to really walk out the privilege and to know the joy of the God who could do it all without us but chose to do it, he says that we're going to have to take on, we're going to have to choose, we're going to have to get comfortable with our title as servant servant. So when Apollos is a servant, and when Paul is a servant, guess what goes away? Jealousy and strife and contention. When husband is servant and wife is servant, guess what goes away? Jealousy and strife and discontentment. And we stop drinking the bottle, and we start moving up spiritually into maturity. When friend one and friend two take on the title of servant, it changes everything. But most of us would rather choose a different title. That's natural, but you know what that is? That's merely being human. And God didn't tap you on the shoulder and ask you to be a part of the greatest movement this world has ever seen, a movement of love that transforms and changes and is powerful and has lasted for 2,000 years. He didn't ask us to step into the stream of that simply to be who we are fully without being changed. He asked us to step into the stream to be fully who we are and to be transformed by Him into His image. Not mine. Not your grandfather's, not the guy, the pastor, the biggest influence on your life, not the church you used to attend. His image for your life now. I think one of the key pieces for all of us is to understand that he's called us to be servants. So wherever there's strife and contention, challenges in a group of people, one of the things I've observed, it's not explicit in your Bible, one of the things I've observed is very often there aren't enough people taking on the title of servant. A lot of people taking on a lot of other titles. Do you realize that when the Apostle Paul wrote his letters, most of the time in all the letters he wrote to churches, he would start it with this phrase. He would say, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, that was his literal title, and then he would say something like this, and a bond servant. I'm bound to this, a bond servant of the gospel. 
And then he would say in another place, I don't boast in my freedom. I boast in that I am a slave to the gospel. God used that attitude that Paul had and grabbed him, the infant Paul who was murdering Christians, and pulled him through to maturity to where his influence and all the environments that he operated grew and was transformative in his own life and changed other people because he was willing to become a servant. So he knew that when he wrote these words to this church about this fighting and contention in their church, in their marriages, in their families, in their workplace, that he had to remind them all, don't forget, all these folks are just servants and they're just doing their part. And some people's part is this, and other people's part is this, and other people's part is this, and that's all up to God. We don't get to choose that. What we get is the privilege of having God tap us on the shoulder and say, I don't even need you, but I'd like to work with you to do my agenda in this world. And I don't think, this has just been, I'm not sure that that in my life I've contemplated enough how a high a privilege that is And what an awesome responsibility and how transformative it is in my life when I take on the title of servant. And I hold those things in tension. Incredible privilege, and I give up my rights. And when I do that, God works in my life. When I do that, God works in my marriage. When I do that, God works in my parenting. When I do that, God works in me in my school. And when I don't, down here, looking at the world with contention and strife and jealousy and lack of contentment, and I'm always critical. You don't have to be the next anybody. You get to be you, the you, the version that God wants to grow you into. God could have done it all. Let me read you one last set of passages and make one final point as we come to a conclusion here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Paul writing, and he says, so here's the way this works. I planted a seed the seed. Apollos, this guy that they're fighting about, he watered it. But what was really happening? But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes it grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they'll both each be rewarded to their labor. Is God going to bless you and reward you if you step in and allow him to begin to use you in those places that you have influence? The Bible here seems to indicate a definitive, absolutely. God will reward you according to your labor. He's not going to reward you according to what he called somebody else to do. Now listen, Uh, men, this means that if your wife isn't playing along, whatever that might look like, that's your feeling, God's not holding you accountable for her. Ladies, your husband isn't holding... God's not holding him accountable in in the church. God isn't holding me accountable for a job I'm not supposed to do. But you know what he is doing? He's holding me accountable for the very thing he tapped me on the shoulder to do. That's why part of the growing up process in spiritual life, and sometimes those that have been with it a long time need to kind of double down and make sure we're clear. Sometimes it's very easy to forget that we have a role to play. And it's specific. I don't know what it is fully. Sometimes I get ideas, but... That's a task for you to figure out as you decide you're going to grow from being the milk taker to the meat taker. And then you walk in the privilege of knowing what it is to have the God of the universe say, I don't really need you, but I'd like to have you on my team. Oh, and by the way, we're not only going to do stuff in your life, 
We're going to do stuff through your life. And it's a big deal. It's such a big deal that I'm going to hold you accountable to that. Verse 9, he says, for we are co-workers in God's service. No big eyes and little you, just different roles. And you are God's field. You're God's building. Here's, here, here's the way I like to think about it, just to kind of make me realize the privilege of it, is that God didn't put it all on me. <laughs> he made me part of a team. And I know the team's functioning when each person does his or her role. So when we're focusing on the milk, it results in strife fueled by comparisons. Look at her. Look at him. Look at Apollos. Look at Paul. But when we're eating the meat personally in our own lives, when we're beginning to feed ourselves, that results in cooperation fueled by a shared vision that this is God's work. It's God's agenda. And I just get to be a part of it. Sometimes I am overwhelmed by what an amazing privilege it is that I get to be a leader in this church. I want you to know that when I'm doing it well, what hits me the moment I have that thought and begin to feel good about it is, Ben, you're just a servant. (laughs) And you're replaceable. And God can use anyone. He just gave you the chance for this time. So don't blow it. (laughs) Don't blow it. I think about my role as a dad, and I think, what an incredible privilege to be part of this family. And I think, you know, God could have given this role to shepherd these three boys and this girl to anybody. But he looked at me and he said, I know you, Ben, and I'm going to give this one to you. I think, what, a, what an incredible privilege. Don't blow this, because it really matters. When was the last time you seriously contemplated the role God has given you to play in his big kingdom? It's going to have something to do with the spheres of influence that you already have. In your home, among your friends, in your larger family, in your immediate family, in your church. And the enemy of our soul would love to get you discouraged and burnt out and looking at everybody else and focused way down here on the world and what you see around you. And today, we have an opportunity to lift our eyes up away from just from what we see and begin to reflect on the one who is in charge of the whole thing anyway. And for just a moment, feel a certain amount of joy and privilege that he would tap us on the shoulder when he didn't need us anyway. And at the same time, feel the appropriate weight and heaviness of the thing because it really matters. That's why. That's why you and your family, you can't afford to keep fighting. You can't afford it. God wants to do something there. That's why why everybody involved has to remember, I'm a humble servant. That's it. That's it. That's all I get. And I get the privilege of being used by an incredible God. And when a church remembers these things, watch out, because it'll change everything. When a family, when, when moms and dads remember, watch, when husbands and wives, watch out. I'm here to serve. I get to. I don't have to. And yet it matters. It's weighty. And I'm not responsible for you. I'm responsible for me. And I don't have time to keep watching you, because i got to watch me. My friends, that will change everything. 
So spiritual maturity, the meat, the meat results in cooperation. You want to know if you've been eating meat? Let me ask you a simple question. Are you cooperating with God's agenda in the spheres of influence that he's given you? Are you cooperating? Where is there strife, contention, lack of peace, division, jealousy? Where is that? Because in those places, my hunch, I'm not trying to judge you, my hunch is you might not be eating the meat. No, where there's meat, there's cooperation, there's a willingness to become a servant. Is it easy? <laughs> no, 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 because see, what God wants to do is he wants to work us over even as he works in us and through us. And I think it's incredible. The greatest joys in my role as a pastor here is linking people up with a part of what God's doing here and giving them a role and an assignment, helping them to discover it, the thing that God's already wired them to do. I like to say it this way. God gave me an assignment that really matters because I'm continuing the work of Jesus in this world. It matters. Your role matters in your family, in your home, in your church, in your community. It matters. It is not a small thing. Don't forget, God could have done it all by himself, but he didn't. He tapped you on the shoulder and said, I would like to use you. And don't ever believe the lie that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it seems insignificant to you and to others. When you're doing your part, it's huge. And God, the grand orchestrator of all things, is playing the music the way he wants it played. And it's working over this world. And it's working in the home. And it's working in the church. And it's working in the society. And it's working in you. That's why. That's why. I have no shame to look at people regularly and say, you need to find a role. You need to take a job spiritually. You need to bring that value to what you're already doing, and you might need to contemplate a new category of how do I explicitly and tangibly serve God's kingdom? I call it the adventure. It's a crazy ride. It's not the easiest thing you'll ever do, but you won't regret it. You won't regret it. It'll stretch you and pull you. And God, the grand orchestrator, will be playing his tune in your life. So why don't we do this? Let's take out our connect cards. And let's take a few steps together as a congregation. I wonder if there's anybody that would say, Ben, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I'd like to accept him for the very first time as my leader and forgiver, my Lord and my Savior. If you'd like to do that, here's the way we do that around We give you a chance in just a moment to use your own words or to borrow mine in a prayer form and say, God, would you just forgive me? And would you you become the leader of my life? I want to follow you. And then we ask you to check the box, next step A, right there on your Connect card, the one you filled out earlier in the service. And you drop that in the offering bucket when it comes by a little bit later. Then we send you some information. You're not joining the church. You're not signing up to give. We just send you information about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus. Or how about next step B? Then I'd like to get baptized. We're doing that in just two weeks. Uh, We have a few people confirmed already. Just sign it. We answer your questions. We get you signed up, and then we celebrate the work that God's doing in your life. How about next step C? I want to join a small group, and you put the number there. Listen, if you're not making time to be in a small group, I, I don't know how to be more clear with you. I think you're missing out on a profound privilege and a profound opportunity for you to grow, right? So just pray about that. I mean, 
seriously press in and ask yourself why it is you don't have time to do something that throughout all of Christian history and in the Bible, people getting together to focus on God has always been a part of the spiritual life that we're called to. How about next step D? I'm going to pray a dangerous prayer all week. God, use me. Show me how you want to use me. God, help me press in. God, give me influence in the spheres that you have placed me relationally and vocationally. Give me influence. Give me, help me make impact there. And on this next one, I want to show you a small progression that a lot of us have walked through. I'm going to take one step. I'm going to move from just knowing some stuff, some information, and I'm going to start thinking about some stuff. Or maybe instead of just thinking about stuff, start thinking, contemplating what it could actually look like for you to do it. What would it look like for you to step into the role of servant in your house? I don't mean stepped on, I mean servant. And then finally, what could it look like if you fully cooperated with God's agenda in your life, hand in hand with other people? What step do you need to take? More information? Consider it? Do you need to deeply contemplate and pray about it? Or do you just need to begin to cooperate? I don't know which one you need to do, but if that, if that resonates with you at all, just check the box and we'll join together and pray about it. We're going to bow our heads now and pray, and then when we get done, you're going to have an opportunity to take communion. You'll come forward and dip the broken body of Christ symbolized by the bread into the larger cup, which is wine, or the smaller cup, which is grape juice, and put it in your mouth. And remember that you have been given an amazing privilege to partner with God in this world. And I don't think you're going to regret it. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for being an amazing God who has given us an incredible privilege to be on your team. You picked us. You hand-selected us. And God, I don't want that to go to our heads in some crazy and goofy way. God, I want us to boldly wear the, the title servant and to get our eyes off of the world alone and focus up on you and lay aside jealousy and strife, discontentment, and instead choose cooperation with each other and with you. Lord, I pray for those folks right now who are accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They're acknowledging that they're a sinner and they're asking you to forgive them. And they're asking you to be the Lord of their life. They want to follow you. And God, I pray that today all of us would take a step towards growing in you. I pray this in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen. Amen.